Wayne Duvenage, what a pleasure. Ten years at Outer. Yeah, that hey. was ten years ago, 2012. What, what, a, what a, a, a milestone. I mean, when you, when you first went there. Never expected imagine? this. No, no, no. Thought it would be a very temporary situation. And we had to form this association of associations because that's how the court process ran with us. A lot of people wanted to be part of that initial case against details. But Arta was never envisaged to be a long-term project for me, certainly. Let's step back a little. Mm-hmm. Um, we were at school together, so yeah. we know each other well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, from Newcastle, Newcastle, you went to High. university. Yeah. Newcastle High, yeah, university. And then you, then you were the MD of Avis in South Africa. It's quite a big jump from Avis to uh, joining a, an, an NGO that heaven knows how long it was going to last for. Yeah, yeah, it was. Um, I enjoyed my career at Avis. At, uh, went through the ranks on the operational side eventually. Left for a while, went back, asked to go back and uh, became the CEO, yeah, up until from about 2007 to about 2012. And then this whole ETOL debacle was well underway. In fact, from 2010 to 2011, there was a lot of to and fro protest action. Sandra trying to explain themselves. We were investigating what was going on here and we decided uh, in 2012 in the beginning we had to take legal action. As an industry, I was chairing the... Uh, the Car Rental Association at the time as well. And the industry said, we can't just sit back and do nothing. It was just fraught with inefficiencies. It was uh, so irrational, costly, and they didn't consult. They didn't do what they had to do. So that was the, what we hang our hat on uh, from, a, from a legal point of view. But it's still a big move. You, you had this, this great corporate yeah. career. Fantastic job. People, yeah. people would cut their arms off to try and get a I position it, like yeah. that. Yeah. But and yet you moved. Yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd, been there, I'd been in that role for five years. And I'm a firm believer you start looking for new opportunities okay. to, to, to move on. You don't just sit there. And I'd done a lot. We uh, really had enjoyed a, a good sustainability journey, introduced, you know, become the first company that was carbon neutral. We had a service excellence program, which was internationally resi- renowned from, from an Avis point of view. So... Yeah, I'd done a lot, had my time and was looking to move, possibly into the Barla World ranks. But this fight came in from the side, this challenge. And, um, and it just bought on something that I couldn't get away from. Uh, and I really thought it would be a temporary thing. I really didn't expect to be still here 10 years. Did they second you from Barla Rand to, to Arta? No, no, Did no, you no resign not at all. Well, well I, I, being, being the chairperson of Savrala, the Car Rental Association, then being the chairperson of ARTA, and you know, you still fill these positions. I was on the board of Tourism Business Council as well. So in my role, you play these different roles. And then ARTA decided it needed to fight this, and I was the chairperson there. But at the same time, my day job was uh, was was CEO of Avis. Uh, so it was you know it was doing two things, and it was getting stressful. I had to make a decision because you know the media were going to press on stories that Sanro were putting out there. We needed the media to get our views across on this whole ETOL issue. And uh, they couldn't wait for our input. They were going to print, and I was going to meetings. So I sat down and had a long think about it and thought, well, let me, let me extricate myself out of the corporate world for six months at least. I thought it would take maybe a year and um, get this, because uh, it needed full-time attention, uh, and, uh, and, and then decide what I'd do after that. I think, you know, as the corporate world is out there, a lot of other things were happening. So I sat down with my boss and said, look, I think I can't do both. It's becoming quite stressful. Let me, let me uh, resign. We had an exit package, uh, which was, was favourable. And, um, and I said, once this is over, we'll sit down and talk. So yeah. international service in a way. 
because that's really what it has, what outer is. Yeah, yeah. Look, it's, um, it became, it, it, this is civil activism, but, but unusual because we didn't want to just be another NGO. We didn't want to just expose. I think the media does a good job in that space. We wanted to go further and change policy, change irrational policy, tackle uh, government when it was uh, out of line and, and introducing conduct that wasn't befitting to civil society at large. But that became the second chapter of Arta's uh, role. The initial four years was to put an end to this grossly irrational, and as far as we're concerned, corrupt scheme, which was overpriced and, uh, and, and really wasn't doing this country any favours. You didn't get off to a great start when you tried to interdict them? Well, we won the interdict. That put a lot of wind into our sails, but the, that was the in, uh, urgency. And then, uh, so we stopped the launch, which was massive. I mean, it was uh, a lot of people asking or, or having a look and seeing, well, that's good that civil society can make a difference and challenge government. But then the case became very technical, very complex, uh, the Part B of the application, and the courts allowed Samuel to carry on that, because, uh, mainly because I think it was one of our risks. We'd come late. The money had been borrowed and the roads had been built. They couldn't undo that. But what the, court, the, the, the Supreme Court did was open the door for us for a collateral challenge. And this is what we needed. After a very bad judgment in the High Court, we had to appeal that. And we also got a cost order against us, which is highly unusual. So we went and appealed that, got the cost order uh, overturned. And the judges really opened the door to say, look, if, if an individual wants to bring a collateral challenge, a defensive challenge, they can do so. And if the system is found wanting in, in, in society's ability to participate in ETOLs, then um, they, they cannot be found guilty of transgressing a law, an irrational law. And that's where we decided to go, to defend each and every single individual that got a summons. And that's where the new chapter of ARTA started which was about 2015, 2016. Litigation's expensive. My goodness, you know, I, I learned a lot uh, through this process. When the lawyers tell you, look, this is going to cost you about a million rand, times it by 10. Seriously. Wow. No, this was a 10 million rand case. We weren't even out of the interdict and three and a half million rand had we spent. It was crazy. How do you uh, fund something like that? Well, you know, being at Avis and being head of the industry, we said to the members, this is going to require money. You need to commit yourselves to funding this case. So we all did. All the car rental companies and others put, put money into the pot, but it wasn't enough. And then after I'd left and we'd uh, lost the case, the government lent heavily on business and they ran for the hills. They wouldn't fund us anymore. And we were left high and dry. And that really made me angry. Uh, and then we had to turn to where we were, where we had to be relevant, and it was the individuals. It was the man in the street. This was their fight, and we had to make it their fight, but they needed to support it. So, so you started off based on the support of business, mm -hmm. and then government leans on business, which Definitely. it does everywhere yeah, in the heavily, world, yeah. not just here in yeah. South Africa. Yeah. Uh, well, it does it. More Maybe so, yeah. More so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then you you had to, I guess, and, reinvent uh, yourself. Yeah, we had to. We had to. We had to call out to business. We had to find new strategy, new processes to make sure that we didn't get one-off donations that we put in place. Uh, in, you know, I mean, we needed to employ people. We needed to get our own legal team in if we were going to defend individuals. We didn't want to have to spend a lot of money with lawyers. We had to build legal capacity processes. And we just reinvented this entire organization and while we were doing that, people were saying, why just ETOLs? You know, ah. those days in Kundla was headline news and state capture, although it wasn't framed as that at the time, was well underway. Uh, and then we were asked by our supporters, can't you go broader than ETOLs and fight this corruption and maladministration? And we took a view and said, okay, we kept that acronym 
uh, outer, which was opposition to Urban Tolling Alliance at the time, changed it to organization undoing tax abuse, and uh, re-strategized, got our structure right, uh, well, what we wanted to uh, get uh, at the time, and then set out on a journey to say to every individual, uh, we're a non-profit, and we, and we are public benefits, so we can't charge you fees, this is not a legal-wise situation, but we will defend you, every single one of you, on one condition, we have the funds to do so. So come on board and let's take this fight back to government. Did you have to go to court much? No, I think once the, once the, um, the, 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 the Supreme Court had ruled and got the cost order against us, <clears throat> then we sat back and reinvented ourselves. We still owed the lawyers about two million rand. We said, we don't have the funds. We'll either close out or down because we just cannot settle that debt. We want to reinvent ourselves without that noose around our neck. So they, uh, uh, they wrote off that debt, although they had already earned about 8 million rand. So they'd made their money out of us, I can tell you. Uh, and then we set out on a new journey and said to the public, this is your fight, but we're going to take it all the way because we'd committed ourselves to seeing the end of Utah's. It, there are lots of people who want to fight on yeah. behalf of the public, but very few of them get the kind of support that Outa received. Yeah. What was it that made you different? Well, I guess, uh, you know, we, we were, we're not just a watchdog. We were going to be an attack dog. We were going to hold people to account. We were going to hold uh, uh, people who abused their power in government, their feet to the fire. We were, we were not just going to expose. We were going to, if need be, litigate. We were going to take people like Dudumnyeni and have her declared a delinquent director. Which you did. Yeah. We were going to um, stop the corrupt deals, which we did on the BNP Capital deal in, 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 in SAA. Uh, and the Bank of Baroda, who is taking Gupta money, uh, those rehabilitation funds for the mines. These are big numbers. These are, are we massive. One point billion there. Um, sure. Uh, the nuclear deal that SAFSI and Earthlife Africa were fighting, we gave them a lot of support. We'd learned how to use social media well. And uh, there was just so much happening. We were, and we were, there's no book for this, not like opening a restaurant. We were, we were, we were testing the waters and seeing, well, what works and what doesn't work. And we were putting online a, a join-up, sign-up, and contributors, rather than give us a 1,000 rand once or give us a 100 rand a month because we need annuity income. Because what we want to do is bring professionals and we want to pay them market-related salaries, lawyers, project managers, investigators, and we're going to go and do this in a way that we don't know what it looks like, but we've got an idea and a vision, and we set out. How long did it take you to get to the scale that you've got now? So that was in 2016 when we had the, the strategic review and we changed the name and then we set out. We had about uh, six or seven people then, so we'd gone from three to six. We were all non-paid for the first uh, four or five years. Uh, it was just uh, you know, non-executive directors uh, uh, living off our savings and, and, and fighting away. But then what we did is we said, let's do so this on. properly. You, at this time, you didn't have a full-time job. No full-time job. You were working full-time for Arta for free. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was doing a bit of consulting on the Uh side where I got one or two, but they were temporary jobs. Uh, I was really digging into our savings. There must have been something very deep inside you that said you... you Angry. Righteous indignation. Just just frankly, it was frustrating to see that government was going to become the beneficiaries of a very deceitful campaign, and that had to be fought. And as much as I tried to extricate myself, we couldn't, we, because we committed to the public. We'll fight this. So long, as, so long as you contribute, we will continue fighting, and we will go broader. And that's when... So it was about 2016, um, and then the team started, because the f- funds started to come in, and Sanral was probably our best salesman, because they were issuing summonses. People were saying, well, just you know, go to Arta, they'll defend it, give them the mandate. 
And we are up to about 3,000 cases where the public came to us and says, will you defend me? We said, of course we will. Uh, and we ran that through a process that I don't think Sandra believed we could do, which was defend every single one of the cases. And then what the court said was, well, we can't have 3,000 cases. Let's go into a test case process, which we were all ready to do. And then they pulled the plug, which, you know, they shot themselves in the foot, quite frankly. And that was the end of, of the litigation process. So since that period, yeah. no more uh, attempts have been made by Sanral to, to summons. To summons, to summons. So no more blacklisting. They can't, there's no credited bad ratings. Nothing can come of, of this because of the fight that we bought. What they are doing is sending out final demands, but the compliance rates, which were supposed to be up in the 90s, never got over 40 by June 2014 and sitting at about 15% compliance now. It's really a handful. They're hardly covering the cost. And the, the pivot into the new outer, yeah. uh, focusing on tax abuse, yeah. was it ever a, a, a decision for you uh, to perhaps not do that? Now, given that you'd really sacrificed a great deal in those first four years, was there an option of perhaps going back into the corporate world? And, and That was the decision we had to make, uh, to make a decision and say, look, either go into the corporate world, and I was still consulting for a couple of days a week at that stage, uh, or we make this work, in which case it needs to pay market-related salaries for myself, the directors, and all the administrators and project managers that were coming on board. So uh, if that worked, I was going to stay. If it wasn't going to work, then we're going to have to find somebody to head it up so that I can get back into you know earning a living again because it had been a long journey, a long, long slog. And it worked. It worked well, and, uh, and then we started the process of getting uh, you know proper governance getting our non-executive directors, um, putting King 4 processes in place. Uh, it was a lot, you know, building an NGO with a corporate mindset of getting proper structure and governance in place. That wasn't an overnight process. That was like, like, like you know, building a car while you're it, riding it down the highway. It was, yeah. it was tough. And then we were changing strategy and had square pegs in round holes and, you know, people had to move or put into new structure. That was, I promise you, the most challenging period from about 2016 to 2018-19. was really, really tough, but uh, we got through all of those hurdles. We dabbled in local government and decided we're going to do that another way. So we've had some great experience. Uh, you could write a book on how to do civil activism unusual, quite frankly. That's what it is. Before we move on to the other stuff, at the time, people forget 2015, 2016, it were dark days for South mm. Africa. Uh, Zuma was in control. The Guptas were running things. They yeah. had the board at, at Eskom. Uh, they, the they were, they were squashing anybody yeah. who raised any objection to them because it was a big game they were playing with Absolutely. lots and lots of money. Yeah. At any time, did you, did you fear for your safety? No, we didn't. Um, because we uh, we had multiple spokespersons, Arta was bigger than one person by then, and and we enjoyed the fight. We. We had this. Um, I know say, you, and I know you would enjoy it. So it's <laughs> not like a dog. words. It eh? was yeah. yeah, it was brilliant. The You're energy. a rockweiler, not a poodle. I'd say <laughs> the energy was high, and whistleblowers were starting to hear about us. We were getting information. So Cynthia Stimple gave us information on the BNP capital deal going down. We stopped that in its tracks. Dudumnyeni called our bluff. We 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 lodged papers to go to court. Then they quickly pulled back. And so, you know, lots of things like that were un unfolding. Rossatom coming at the country with uh, nuclear. 
Uh, we had to expose that, so we put videos together and worked with SafeC and them. Uh, and, and it was really good energy. And then 2017, the famous Gupta leaks uh, landed. We got a copy of that, started to put uh, reports together for Parliament to show and expose uh, Jacob Zuma, not on the basis of media statements, now on what was happening in the, in the real world. Gupta leaks, I remember, it was a little bit like, jeepers, we've been fighting this fight, mm. and now here comes the cavalry. There Almost like uh, you, you were at the point of exhaustion, those... Yeah. who were in the battle. And yeah. clearly you were right in the, on the front Yeah, line. and everything was based on information, but they, the parliament and the ANC could just say, well, let's hear saying this is a political agenda. But once the Gupta leaks landed, there was all the evidence. There were all the emails, the bank statements, the, uh, you know, the, the notices that were given to Zoom as to who to put into various positions and how deep and in control the Guptas really were. That was like a gold mine for well, us. Well, it was divine intervention. Yeah, I think, it was. It was. <laughs> how else do you explain it? It was. Here, here comes a, a server that gets given to a second-hand, a bit like this Hunter Biden thing, yeah. second-hand uh, computer dealer. Yeah. He throws it away. The Malawian gardener picks it up, mm-hmm. fixes it. Yeah. And that guy needs a medal, but I guess yeah. uh, we'll never know the full story there. Sure. But getting back to, to outer mm. post yes. Gupta Leaks, post uh, yeah. uh, the... As Ramaphosa came into power, we had mm. Ramaphoria in South yeah. Africa. Do we really need an outer anymore at that stage? My goodness, yeah. uh, we've, you've, you've proven that we certainly do. Yeah, we had you know, looked at our strategy and said, well, we need to re-strategize. This was on our risk register now, and we said, uh, you know, look, quite frankly, if outer didn't have to exist, we were also going to be happy because we want nothing better than, than the, uh, to have a corrupt-free society and, and government, an inefficient government. But... As it turned out, it wasn't to be. Uh, we had to stay the fight. Um, who's in power today? Not necessarily in power tomorrow. Um, and that's what we saw with, with Zuma. So um, we continued to do what we had to do, uh, knowing that, that things aren't going to change overnight. And we also started to reinvent ourselves to say, look, besides being this attack dog on corruption and, and maladministration, let us start to be engaging. Let us start to be solution-based, solution-thinking. Let us engage with uh, government at various levels uh, and, and, and not just attack. Uh, you know, attack where you need to, but let's, let's try and do this with a multi-pronged approach. And that's what we started reaching out to DGs, to ministers, uh, to try and find solutions. But they Did it work better? Uh, it, it, it started to, certainly over, over the last couple of years, you know, we are finding that uh, the committees in Parliament are inviting us and looking at our input and we can see that we're making inroads in those areas. We do get uh, requests from various people in different levels of authority engaging with us constructively and proactively now. So it's working, but um, it's a bit of trepidation always because, you know, they're not sure how art is going to uh, deal with them, but if they are corrupt, if they're found wanting, they know we'll go after them. If not, and they're serious about uh, changing policy to suit society, uh, we're all ears to work with them, share our research. And uh, that's what we're doing now with the NRCS, uh, trying to get proper process in place for greater efficiency for business, working with BUSA, big project that. Uh, it'll change uh, efficiencies in, in doing business in this country if we get that one right. At the Business Conference, uh, you opened the eyes of everybody in the audience, by showing us the accounts of the state-owned enterprises mm. had been doing exactly what a Steinhoff did. In other words, inflating assets, yeah. borrowing against 
inflated assets yeah. and leaving the taxpayer with this huge yeah. hole uh, that that who knows how it's going to be filled is that also part of the of the game or do you need whistleblowers to come along to Arta and say we think you need to investigate this so it's two pronged we 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 whistleblowers give us information and direction to look at and then we can't take that at face value we've got to get real information as we build cases but what how that expose came about was we started to look firstly at Sanral to say why are these companies uh, investment houses uh, investing in these government bonds to the extent that they are and suddenly we saw uh, we just went all we did was all the SOEs we went back uh, over eight years or so and we said look, put their financials into a spreadsheet and see the trends how much is, is Treasury giving them? How much are they getting from their toll portfolios? And so we just saw this massive inflation in assets. And then we saw the same at Danel and Eskom and Transnet. And we saw, well, here's a modus operandi, got hold of finance people, and they explained, look, from an IFRS point of view, that's nothing wrong with that so long as those assets are realizable. And then we said, but how realizable are South Africa's roads as an asset? I mean, Central can't sell these roads. So while that might be the case of replacement value, and that's what they uh, can be put into your books at, if I was an investor, I would be saying, trying to treat this like a JSE-listed company and say, well, this is not realizable, so I can't invest. But what they did was look away from that because they... Those bonds were backed by government guarantees and the interest rates were healthy. So I, I literally, Alec, blame the investment houses and the banks for giving those SOEs the money because they should have asked tough questions and they should have walked away. Now, they need to be part of the solution because we need to get government to revalue those bonds, renegotiate terms. Uh, there's Something has to happen, but we just cannot allow them to get away with us. I'm sure you remember Andrew Cantor from yeah. Future Growth, when yeah. he raised questions and he was squashed by Old Mutual. Uh, but it's, it's, there's something really sad behind the scenes when exactly what you've said, the, the person who does ask the questions gets told to shut up. And that, yeah. that is, that's why you need artists, I guess, yeah. uh, to, yeah. be, to be keeping... To raise these concerns mm -hmm. and to say, look at this. And in fact, recently met with somebody who's doing work uh, advising government to say... Explore that avenue. Go back to the people who took these bonds out and say, why did you do that? Knowing that those assets could never be valued. You gave that money on the basis, not of those balance sheets, on the basis that these are government, government guarantee. So you've got a government guarantee. Who needs yeah. to look at balance sheets? Yeah, and that's Which wrong. And that's that's the weakness wrong. in SOEs. And that's when you don't run SOEs properly, like businesses, and you're just banking on government bailing out, you're going to have SAA, Danel, all the stuff that we've got in a 500 billion rand debt hole in just four for SOEs for this country. So your job is not done. Your work is not over. No. What's ARTA looking like in the next five years? I suppose first question, yeah. uh, are you uh, going to be retiring anytime soon? Look, this is fun. I don't, uh, you know, I enjoy this. So not going to, no plans to retire, uh, maybe change angle, change tack. But from an ARTA point of view, uh, we are we, we continue with this what we call this accountability division with these legal project managers getting information from whistleblowers building cases against people who are either on the business side and in government doing deals so that's the one side and a number of projects there but what we have started to do is to say introduce what we call citizen science into into finding solutions for government so for instance you know, we just launched water can. And this is, we, we cannot trust government's information on water quality. 
both the effluent going into rivers and drinking water. So, uh, and the timeliness of that, and we've seen in a few projects, they've been found wanting, that's local government and, and provincial. So we're going to introduce a heat map that has all the information across the country on our water quality, run by citizens through a formalised process, accurate process and timeliest process, of which government and all stakeholders can have access to the information. And we're going to do the same thing with community action networks, we call it, uh, where, where um, resident associations uh, follow the similar process so that we network them and we give them the powers uh, and, and understanding of how they can tackle local government, hold them to account for the waste of taxpayers' money in local government, municipalities and metros. And then we've launched a little app that really helps all municipalities receive information around breakdown of infrastructure, traffic lights, water leaks, sewage leaks, and it's free to the municipality and it's free to the public, and we want to launch that soon. You've got a, you've got a heck of a lot on your plate. That's at the local level, clearly... At the government, at the central government level, yeah. there's plenty to to work yeah. on as well. How do you prioritise? Well, we've got a great team. Hey, there's there's 43 staff. Got an excellent exco, a, a good board, and um, and 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 you know, as I say, 43 people working in structures uh, uh, with systems and processes, project management processes, and uh, it just flows. It's 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 got better and better with every year. Uh, but now we've got to we've got to fund these new developments and platforms. So we've taken a bit of the the funds that we put into litigation war chests and that uh, to get these things up and running, so that they can finance themselves over time. Uh, just so that we cover the administration costs. That we're still a non-profit organisation. We still have Section 18A certification for all our donors. So um, we're not taking eye off the ball. We're just finding different ways and better ways to become part of the solution for this country and involving citizens, making them more active than they are, giving them the powers and understanding how how much they should and could be doing. Good laws, but not always well implemented. Um, When you you did mention 18A, Perhaps you could just explain how that works. Yeah, so so we are tax exempt, and we have been classified by by SARS as a Section eighteen A non profit entity and a, a public benefit organisation. So anyone who donates to us can can retrieve their their funds uh, back through. At the end of the tax year, we give all our donors a, a tax certificate, eighteen A tax certificate. They put it down as a donation, and they can get their uh, money back. Obviously, it reduces that amount that they would pay tax. Uh, on uh, the taxable portion on that contribution to us. So it's nice because I think people like donating to us, but now you know it's government funding that donation. And I think government, uh, that's why those laws are put there. We're doing good for society. We're doing yeah. good for the country. Yeah. And as we close off uh, this conversation, when you look back in five years, mm. what would you like to see? You've had some massive highlights in the last 10 years as you've unpacked some of the the really big Mm. Uh, changes that you've made to society. Just think of the Russian uh, Rosatom yeah. uh, nuclear deal. Trillion if you hadn't deal. been involved, yeah. we'd be bankrupt now. Uh, if Dudu Mieni had remained at yeah. SAA, who knows what, yeah. what damage yeah. she would have caused. And yeah. there are many like that. But mm. if you look back in five years, would you be, be keen to see some, some big milestones like that? Yeah, or would there be other... Other priorities that you'll be happy There will be new because they come along, but hopefully are to sorted. Hopefully this demerit point system is, is functional and, and done properly. It is worse than ETOLs from a failure point of view. 
Hopefully electoral reform has come along. Now, we're not in the political space, but one way of changing this country is to get the right people through an electoral reform reshuffle or, or revamping so that people who mean something to constituencies get into power, not ANC lists of people who we don't know who are now going to represent us in Parliament. So we've worked with the New Nation movement who we got that court case and that ruling two years ago. Parliament are way behind where they should be. So it's in that space, that's policy stuff that we're working on. Uh, water is a big thing in uh, this country. If we think we've got a problem with electricity, wait for what's happening with water. So hopefully we can get government to sit up and make sure that we're investing in water properly. Um, and and just so many other things. At the same time, we'd like to see and we want to put together a platform that exposes all people found wanting so they can't play musical chairs within government. If you've been fired from this department or that uh, municipality, you should not be able to find your way into other uh, places in, in government. Uh, so this catered deployment thing, put some, putting some brakes on in that space, finding new ways of doing that. It's, there's, there's a, it's, it's, it's amazing how much can be done. We just need to put the systems and processes in place to bring citizens on board and say, this is your organisation, use it, work it, and make sure it works for you. And how many citizens are on board? Well, we've got uh, about 28,000 people donating to us. Uh, that allows us to... To, to have the 45 staff, 70% of our costs uh, come from the staff complement. This is all about people energy, and we would love to double that. So it's crazy that we, should, we don't have 50,000, 100,000 people supporting us.